Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome back, friends, to Waypoint 101. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and this week's reading is for a game's Metro 2033, a post-apocalyptic sci-fi adventure set in the Moscow Metro. Joining me is Waypoint Editor-in-Chief, Austin underscore Walker. That's me. The under, you need to, if, if I'm going to be underground in the Metro, I need to keep the underscore. <laughs> and we've got Waypoint Managing Editor, Danielle R.I. Riendo. Hey, how's it going? Straight out of Rhode Island. Straight, Straight out, of out of Rhode Island. Does we don't Rhode have Island no have... subway. Okay, I was wondering if there was any sort of underground anything in We got Rhode buses. Island. Those are not underground. We got, like, Underground mills. street fights? Do you have those? Yeah, we probably do, actually. <laughs> do you have underground after-hours bars that thing. haven't paid liquor tax? <laughs> yeah, real thing. Prostitution uh, was actually legal in Rhode Island for, like, 12 years through some weird underground loopholes, and it's Ooh. how a lot of uh, social, like, social worker academics have uh, done a lot of research on sort of like uh, you know sex work laws in America and how things Hmm. can work and how things can be safer because we have such uh, uh, differently managed uh, social systems in Rhode Island. Was this like recent or was this like... Yeah it was like like in the 90s and early 2000s. Oh wow like in our lifetimes. Oh yeah. Wild. While I lived there for sure. Uh, Anyway anyway, so we're going to be uh, diving into Metro 2033 uh, which is a video game game adaptation of a a popular sci-fi novel by Russian author uh, Sergei Glukhovsky Uh, but it's an extremely loose adaptation and uh, if you can believe it it (laughs) might even be a more upbeat take on the original source material. Well, uh, I can buy that I can buy that it's a video game which means there's lots of gunfights you win. Yeah, but it's so like the, the the books have lots of gunfights too. But like I was reading the uh, novel wikis last night, just sort of mm-hmm. like trying to get a sense of how things shake out there, and I ended up getting like actually depressed reading yeah. the wiki summaries of some of the books because like even in video game form, uh, like yeah, well, for like four A's made a pretty grim shooter in Metro twenty thirty three, but like the books are way less hopeful. I have a question that has nothing to do with this. Yeah. Do you think 4A games is meant to sound like the word 4A? Is this wow. a, is this a Miles Tails Prower moment? Is this it a is. Phoenix Down moment for me? I think it wait. is. Wait. 4A? What? Hang on, Phoenix mean, Down. What? What's... It's the... Da- it's feathers. It's Phoenix feathers. Ah! It's feathers. It's like down. Like the down of a... Uh, oh yeah okay uh-huh. this is a classic giant bomb bit this is a classic <laughs> giant giant bomb cast realization uh, that was also a realization for me many many years ago i al- i also thought because your party was down and you phoenix you like rose them from being down no it's down feathers it's feathers <laughs> anyway oh, wow. foray okay, like, like yeah 
like a foray into something like uh like oh we're gonna move in we're gonna go in on, on we're gonna there's a foray in, into our territory or something that makes you know? a lot more sense than or is it triple a but better <laughs> y'all only I, have three a's i kind of suspect not mm. uh I'm, I'm not sure the entire like fetishization of like finance terminology had happened <laughs> in the eastern european game dev scene <laughs> fair uh the way like in 2008 2009 to like show you were serious about video games it was like yeah i know what bond ratings are hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh anyway uh so metro 2033 takes place several years after a nuclear war wipes out most of humanity and it follows uh like someone who was a child during the initial attack and someone who survived by taking shelter in the moscow metro which is a kid named artyom and when the game begins he's sort of achi- like attaining majority uh, as far as this underground society and since the attack, he's basically come of age living in the micro-communities that reside uh, beneath sort of the ruined surface of, of Moscow. And each metro station has practically become its own city-state. And uh, when the game opens, those communities are facing what appears to be a mortal threat uh, that Artyom must help defeat. And he's got to go on a journey through the metro. And to do that, he has to. you end up playing what... I guess I might describe as like a corridor shooter immersive sim. Uh, <laughs> Danielle, does that sound like a fair summary? How did how did you find the experience of like actually playing Metro twenty twenty thirty three? So uh, I I get the impression I might be more negative than both of you are on this game, and I'll be honest, I didn't finish it. I I played several hours of it and then watched a bunch of stuff on YouTube. So that's gonna be what I do. Um, I just had a, a hard time with the controls, and I think it's. I don't know if there's something wrong, honestly, with my gaming laptop, but even with uh, really, really tweaking the settings, it never fully went away where I had uh, controller drift the whole time Mm. I was playing it. Uh, I I did all the things. I did a thing that helped a lot. It had to do with like dead zone stuff with your controller, but it never completely went away. So um, my game was always in motion and not always the direction I wanted it to be. That's not good. That's not great. That seems impossible to play. Amazing. Uh, And I don't want to entirely blame the game on that because i assume there's there's probably just you've something. hit that bug before right yeah, I sure in other have. games so uh, we need to look this... at that computer we need to figure out what the fuck is going on there no i know i, I assume the way, solution though. has to do with dead zone stuff and i have tweaked it quite yeah. a bit and it is better it, do, it does get better it just never completely goes away so think about this as being part of the immersion if you were living <laughs> in a post-apocalyptic nuclear wasteland maybe you would also be drifting and your inner ear didn't work so well. right yeah right. that part is uh the the pukey part well i mean okay so i'm interested to hear why you consider it an immersive sim because it, as far as i played and as far as i saw there weren't a ton of immersive elements it, it felt much more like a strict shooter in the vein of wolfenstein but i fully i will accept your arguments but what made it immersive to you i think for me like where i look at it i think it probably is more corridor shooter than immersive shooter but like it has these elements that it's sort of uh weaving in that are more from the immersive sim tradition right like what you're pardon like with the light stuff is that what you're referring to with lights with sound uh with the various sorts of traps you find uh like it's just i think meant to be a little bit more of a convincing world that you then have to learn to navigate and Mm -hmm. like environmentally read and interpret uh in a way that like a lot of corridor shooters never really ask you to right like you don't need to notice shit in wolfenstein (laughs) like you can just run around right but metro you kind of need to pay attention 
I might, I'm not sure that's true. I think you should pay attention. I think at the end of that game, it will punish you if you haven't been paying attention based on the ending choices. But there were sections in the game that I would only later come to understand were supposed to be or could have been stealth sections that I just blasted my way through (laughs) without any problem. And I think that was part of the thing for me. I was definitely expecting it to be a very difficult game when it came to resources, whether those resources were my my air filters or my bullets or my currency bullets, my magic, my, my military grade bullets that I use as money, um, or my health or anything. And it never was. And so I never really felt punished for not paying attention. Um, partially that's because there's a very, you know, I, so I played on the default difficulty. I played on all like the recommended regular, whatever I'm playing 2033, uh, uh, redux. Um, and the, I expected there to be a sort of like pushback on that stuff. And instead I found like a really friendly checkpoint system for the most part. There were mm-hmm. a couple of sequences that were like really shitty, but like 90% of them really good for when I messed up. And in general, I was just never in a situation where I was running low on anything. I was able to get through most combat encounters pretty easily. Um, and that might be because I wound up with like a gun that was built perfectly for it or whatever. <laughs> I picked the right customization options. Um, or, or it might just be that maybe I should have been playing on a harder difficulty. And like, I, you know, I wanted to, I sat out, I set out to play this game because I wanted to see the story. And in retrospect, I think I should have knocked up the difficulty because it wasn't the story that I wanted so much as the thematic experience of being, of needing to survive in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. And mechanically, it just didn't do that for me. And so I don't think my attention ever was really grabbed in that way. Yeah, I was going to ask about difficulty because I had, I wouldn't say a similar experience because I my difficulty came completely from the controls, but like, right, sure. Um, yeah, I, I definitely was playing it like, I just want to see the story. I put it on normal with the action mm-hmm. setting or whatever it is. Basically the easy mode for this game, I think is, is kind of how it translates. Um, and so it didn't, yeah. I, so I partially probably did this to myself. I, I, I probably sabotaged myself a little bit by not playing it more difficultly. But yeah, therein well, lies the problem of trying to play uh, a game in, in a compressed time frame <laughs> and being, you know, uh, <laughs> trying to actually like controller. get everything out of it. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think this but I think like 4A kind of created this problem for themselves too. like yeah. Metro mm-hmm. the way like what is the way Metro is meant to be played? I have no freaking idea. No idea. <laughs> uh, and like, if you go and you try to find out, like you can Google various forms, you will find vigorous forum debates about the correct <laughs> yep. balance. Because what ends up happening is, in addition to the regular the regular difficulty modes, which are already pretty jagged. Like, mm-hmm. the first time I played this thing, played on like whatever hardcore is or something, it wasn't the survivor mode, which is two modes that were like, I think, patched in much later, which meant to turn it into like... um like license to kill mode in GoldenEye or something. Oh, it's like sure. much deadlier. It's like a realism mode. It's deadly for everybody. Right, exactly. Right. But the game doesn't support that level of realism. It's just not that kind of game. Mm-hmm. But I ended up playing it on, on Hardcore the first time I went through it. And so the game I remember is just really vicious. This is the game I played. You know, I played this like six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was brutally unforgiving uh enemies just like devoured ammunition i was always like scarce on ammo i was always like running low on a uh, gas mask filters for the sequences when you're going through the surface um i was always sort of struggling against those limitations 
this most recent playthrough, I was playing it on normal. It is not the game I remember at all. <laughs> like thematically, yeah. it's very like it's very successful at evoking those feelings. Like you know the way your gas mask sort of fogs over totally. as you or as cracks. You there are definitely yeah. moments of like, oh, I see what the paintbrush is. I see what their palette is at the very least. Yeah, and like the um, all the sort of uh, diegetic uh, you know interface elements. Um, the, the things that like the weapons you have to power with like an air pump or like a, uh, electric charger, that stuff is really, really cool. And I mean, the first time I played it, it all worked out well because the game had this really raw and dangerous feel that made all that sort of complete the image of this being a underground survival sim in some ways. This most recent playthrough I'm just mowing those Nosaluses down <laughs> right and left. No yeah. problem. And all those elements are still around it. It's still got that like beautiful, you know, ruined post-apocalyptic frame, but it's not quite succeeding as much because on the easiest difficulty level, I think it is very easy to play this as like a all right, look, the arrow on my compass says go here, so I'm gonna go there. Right. The the most significant example of this for me was a level that that is uh, you know, I don't know how we're going to talk about what, I, I guess we should say really quickly, we're going to dig into spoilers pretty heavily here. We're going to be like very open about the entire game. So I just want to say that right now before I get further in. Um, but I'd say about halfway through the game, there's a, a level called Frontline, which is where the communists and the, the Nazis are fighting each other. It's this kind of, I think it's a really cool level idea. I think that like, I even think that like the environment is neat. It's, um, kind of two elevated train platforms inside of the underground metro where they've been kind of set up as like trench lines you know they've, they've put down sandbags there's kind of two levels to them there's a collection of pipes that you can kind of run on top of to get from section to section if you're trying to be stealthy but i was not trying to be stealthy in fact, i didn't know i could be stealthy until i finished killing you know 30 40 people and was just like spent the next 30, 40 minutes looking through this area for a key for a side lockbox I wanted to open up and just like just scrounging through the corpses to see if I dropped if someone had dropped a key or if I'd missed one under under a uh, a desk or something. And it was just one of those moments of like, okay, the thing that they're presenting this as this notion of like, oh, Artyom, who's just a single man caught between these two grand forces locked in military struggle, completely erased on the normal difficulty setting for me, because what I did was shoot people in the face from from far away with my silent scoped pistol and just walked through all of their bodies later. Be like, did one of y'all have a key? There was a puzzle back there. If I have a key, I can open the, the box and get another air filter. And it was just like, I could see the game I wanted it to be because I think the area is cool and I like the notion of what's happening there, but it just, it didn't, that part of it didn't, wasn't communicated through that normal difficulty. Yeah, I completely agree. And also I I feel like a hypocrite for feeling the way that I feel because I'm always such an advocate for like, hey, it's cool to have a story mode. Wouldn't it be awesome if there was a chill mode Mm. in Dark Souls and I could look at all the you know, all the lore and that sort of thing. So I feel I mean, like... I think that that's not, a, that's not hypocritical. Yeah, I do. I think, I, that's, I think that it speaks to... I think that it's a great example of why there are people who push back on that and say, well, 
Yeah, I think that there's, you know, I think we paint the people who say, fuck that, no, Dark Souls is supposed to be difficult, Yeah, Like, those people <laughs> fucking suck. Those people do exist, and they suck. Yeah. But there are also people who, and I think I probably fall into this camp, that say something like, I would never want to play Dark Souls that way because for me, a lot of the storytelling and a lot of the, a lot of what is evoked in Dark Souls is not only in, uh, architecture and enemy, you know, design and, uh, item descriptions. It is also in those things, but it is in how the characters move. It is in the, the difficulty of the boss fights that make them so memorable for me. Um, and that might, and that's specifically for Dark Souls. You know, I don't think that that's necessarily everywhere, but here I think is another great example of like, if this game wanted me to feel like RTM, it, it or the way that the the RTM refers to things, the RTM who leaves these diary entries everywhere <laughs> yeah. about how terrible and impossible things are and how there's no way they can hold out longer. Like, I can hold out pretty long, actually. You just leave me here. You can evacuate this whole town. I'll take care of the Novosalis or whatever they're called. You know, is that yeah. a Final Fantasy thing? Is Novosalis? Did I confuse Nova a Final Fantasy? Is that anyway? That's 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 my difficulty rant. Yeah, I think, like, a lot of times difficulty, uh, the challenges in a game, like, they imbue a space with, like, meaning and relevance and make you pay attention to those details. And, like, I mean, that's why, like, if you look at a lot of immersive sims, if you strip away the game, they're very small worlds, right? Right, They tend to be collections of small rooms, tiny open areas, but, like... They really are not as big as they feel when you play through them. If you if you go to the walk around mode, that world is suddenly going to feel like a stage play in some ways. It is the fact that that empty space is full of all those all that potential for you know heroics or danger that suddenly you're scrutinizing it and it becomes like alive to you. Uh, I think in its best moments, Metro is going for that and pulls it off sometimes, but like the places where difficulty game like design intent and then how those game mechanics actually function in reality (laughs) the times when they all line up are actually kind of intermittent uh in this Uh game which is why i think it ends up succeeding much more as like a work of atmospheric science fiction but not as much as like uh sort of i think the single player stalker descendant they were going for Hmm. right yeah, I, I, I'm curious for both of you, because we've been talking about the combat side and the kind of um, the levels where we're, you're fighting things or sneaking or whatever in terms of immersive sim. But Danielle and Rob, what about the areas in between? What about the actual metro stations where the cultures are, where there are civilizations and people? Did that evoke the immersive sim history or, or even or something that isn't just the corridor shooter for you at all? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, like, I, I really enjoyed a lot of those sections, but they they also brought me to uh, to sort of realize another aspect that I was less keen on that, that I could probably save for later. Uh, and that would be sort of the way women are treated in this world. Mm. Uh, but again, that's probably a, a rant for later. But I did I did like the the feeling of life being lived in these spaces. It definitely reminded me in a lot of cases of the sort of very few but wonderful sort of safe areas in Wolfenstein where you're actually sort of running around and seeing people right. and, and, and you know, you're reading the notes and, of course, you're hearing some of the conversations. Uh, I played it in Russian with English subtitles, which uh, was both awesome and also meant yeah. I didn't get some oh, of the Patrick awesome gave some bad fucked. advice there. He did. Um, so, he did and I remember bad advice. I think on the show I was like, wait, but are the incidental conversations translated? And they aren't. They are not. Like, they, they, like the, 
unlike if you play The Witcher in Polish, everything is subtitled in that game. Like everything you overhear, like it's popping up on the screen, I think, pretty much. Uh, but here, only the mainline dialogue is it's translated with subtitles. And if you don't have those conversations, man, are you missing out on pretty much all the world building. Yeah, like a ton of it. There's so much in those conversations about the radio not working or about someone's uncle being lost or about how this kid wants to buy a pet rat, but his mom is like, no, that rat is dinner, you know? Um <laughs> And because of the weird morality system, the, the morality point system that they never spell out for you, you lose options to gain these like enlightenment points or morality points if you can't overhear people sometimes. Oh, and that shit. is wild because like there are people talking about their sick, their sick kids, and like if you have you have to like sit and wait for them to finish that conversation, which the only way you'll know about it is if you could understand what they're saying, and then like oh hey here I'll give you some money for your sick kid, but if you don't hear it there's no way for you to like know that you should stop and just overhear this thing that isn't subtitled on the screen it's yeah and there's like people begging for money that, so. yeah and yes. like you have to like force the money into their hands which i'm sorry you have to force the bullets into their hands <laughs> uh those good good pre-war uh you know brass casing uh yeah. ammunition that's how you that's how that's how you that's your currency uh but yeah if like there's no prompts that pop up. Like you have to go and like really lean on the use button in order mm -hmm. to give these characters uh, who you only know need help because of the because of their dialogue. Otherwise, they will look like part of the scenery. Uh, in you know if if you're playing in Russian. Uh, so yeah, that's that's an issue. the The other aspect is like it is amazing how much of this game never bothers to explain itself at all. <laughs> um, which I kind of like like uh -huh. like the morality system is so weird because like now playing it I know what those weird so like if you're playing it naively uh you'll just be going through and doing stuff and the screen will flicker and you'll hear like distant conversations and murmurings <laughs> is the way to put it like how is that? How are you supposed to? How are you supposed to it's interpret unbelievable. that? Unbelievable! Like because they happen in weird things, right? It's like, oh, you played the guitar in Artyom's room. You get it, the screen goes weird. Like, okay, was that a good thing? I guess that was a good thing. Like, open this one guy's do door. It you get a you get a good point. O okay, <laughs> great, cool. Sometimes you lose them when you take military grade bullets from places. Other times you don't. Um, there's one early on where someone says like. I think it's Khan, probably. It's either Khan or it's, it's Bourbon. It's Bourbon. He's like, oh, did you, you know, people say that you can hear things singing in the pipes. And at that point, you need to crouch down near a pipe on the right side of the tunnel until you hear laughter. And then you get a morality point. And it's like, how would I, why would I ever do that? I went to the other pipe to listen. I Nothing ever happened right, for me. Right, exactly. You went, to the, you went to the left pipe, not the right pipe. And that's so obtuse. And so that's the thing. Is like I wouldn't mind it if there was at least a a a um, if it was obtuse or if it was if it was invisible, but was at least consistent. Um, but as it is, it feels just like a collection of random activities that are really inconsistent that build towards 
opening the possibility for an end game choice. It doesn't even make that choice. Like it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily, you could play through the whole game having done enough of those things to get that choice and leave it thinking like, Oh, I guess I made the right choice at the end without having known that you could have had that possibility totally closed off to you. If you had not sat next, next to the right pipes or smoked the right hookah or whatever. I had no idea. I mean, part of that is because of playing in Russian. So I don't understand almost anything that's going on. But I had no idea it was that random, which I don't know that I, I, I might like that on some level. Like I, I, but not if it if it really completely dictates how what ending you get or what you know sort of that it's weird to me that that's morality based and not it's some other type of system that's affecting some other type of thing. If that makes any right, sense, like right. morality to so, me as a you know as the goody two shoes asshole that I am is very mm-hmm. much like. That should be for intentional choices, but right, yeah, so. right. the The way that I've seen the fandom talk about it is like it's about it's. They like to use the word enlightenment points more than morality. Okay. Point. I've seen it used both ways, okay. but that the notion is like, oh, RTM has never left exhibition. Yep. his home, his home metro, and so this is about him like opening his mind to the world and experiencing things and like coming to a sort of self awareness as a young adult. Uh, as like, oh, I know enough about the world because I smoked hookah that time, and I listened to the singing pipes, and I, I didn't. I, I'm a curious person, so I didn't shoot at the ghosts when they appeared. Um, and so it's like under that metric, I kind of like it. But all I would have wanted was a message early on that said, "Hey, make sure you're curious. Be a, be a curious boy, and that'll be <laughs> what opens your mind. You know, you'll you'll get cosmic brained, and then you don't have to kill all the good guys at the end." <laughs> yeah, I I think. For me, the way the way this I've experienced this system is that the first time I played the game, I got the bad ending, and mm-hmm. it lets you know you fucked up. Like you know you're getting the bad ending, uh, and we we'll, we we'll get to that in a minute. But there's a lot of like in a few <sighs> minutes. But there's a lot of cues that like you are making a mistake as the game's final events are unfolding. Uh, and canonically, like in terms of what the novels say. Like the worst possible ending unfolds, and then the novel series gets ever grimmer uh, into <laughs> almost Terry Gilliam Brazil esque uh, dystopian uh, shit show <laughs> stories. But uh, I think it's in the act of failing that you start to realize what all this meant. Like I think there is like what I like about it is the way it, the way I have experienced the system is it was always sort of a deathbed realization for me right like that it was a oh that stuff mattered there were all those little forks in the road that i could have chosen and it's about you know like it's sort of like um jacob marley talking you know warning scrooge right like mankind Mm. was my business uh you know your your spirit has to venture forth in life or it's doomed to do so after death i feel that's kind of what this game is trying to get across and it's not just do you give ammunition to the begging children? Uh, by the way, don't just give ammunition to uh, begging children. <laughs> to children. Like that's yeah. not a, that's not a great idea. Uh, but God. it's not just like do people favors and do this transactional stuff the way you find in a lot of like morality systems and other games. It's also about just sort of journeying forth and like you like you said, Austin, being curious, right? Like go and uh, God, I forget the is it. Balaika, Balaika, the uh, sort of tr- like Russian uh, guitar. Like the, oh yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. Like the cool little like it's like a triangular yeah. bass instead of a curvy one. Yeah, right. So like, do you play with that? Do you listen to what the people around you are saying? Do you sort of, you know, 
ask questions and explore the world around you. And I, I kind of like that as in, like, I kind of like that I came to it through this uh, process of realizing how badly I'd blown it the first time and then Mm -hmm. playing through again, it starts to make a lot more sense. And I think ends up actually holding up under scrutiny, maybe a little better. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it on its, on its face or on paper at the very least in terms of like, one of them is like when there's a vision, stand still and watch the vision. Don't try to move through it. Don't try to leave. Same thing with like, oh, this NPC is talking to you. Don't walk away or else you'll lose points. Um, and I guess I think that that stuff is really cool. And I just wish it was systematized a little bit more cleanly because there are visions you can walk through or walk away from without losing points. And there are, you know, NPCs who you can totally ignore without losing points. And so it's, it's like, it does feel like a weird, exercise in in you know galaxy brain cosmic braining of like oh this is a person who i'm supposed to know i should be aware enough to listen to and not just walk con this guy who's talking about angels and and the church like that this is that shit i really got to pay attention to i don't really care about what bourbon says about guns or whatever you know um it's 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 a unique thing, and I'm. I think that the game is probably richer for having it rather than not having anything in its stead. And I probably am happier that it is this than like a simple like Kotor style morality system, um, which is not interesting for the reasons we've talked about in, in past episodes. Or it's not as interesting, I guess. Um, but you know, there was something about playing it the first time and having. So I streamed this twice. Yeah. And the first night, it was like people were like, "Oh, you got to burn all the spiders." Make sure you burn all the spiders. That's how you get points. It's like, I don't fucking know. Like, yeah, it could be. Dude, what if I is only burning spiders when the spider webs are on top of old corpses? Is it? And the answer is nothing. There's no points from spider webs, but there could be. You know, that's how obtuse it seemed to be. I, I feel um, like. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I also am wrong. There is totally a point at which, if you get rid of spiders with a with your flashlight, then you get points. I think all of this is very cool, and it all supports the thesis that I have in my own brain, that I love the idea of this game more than I love (laughs) playing this game. Fair. (laughs) If that makes any sense. Totally. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to some of the people who were playing this game, right? Like, I mean, uh, so Blindside (laughs) uh, left a comment in in our forums at Discourse.Zone, and he said that, uh, or, or they said, I keep hearing the term immersive thrown around this game. I guess nothing says immersive like reloading checkpoints because the game is being deliberately obtuse or broken. <laughs> uh, being constantly aware that the game you're playing is broken in weird, random, arbitrary ways is maybe the least immersive thing ever. Uh, knowing that you're always pushing towards a level-ending trigger is not immersive. Losing control of your character for a slow-moving, unskippable cutscene is not immersive. Uh, restarting entire chapters to fix known scripting errors is not immersive. Uh I can't even imagine playing in a mode with less ammo and harder difficulty because that seems like making a broken game even more broken. Mm. Uh, there were a lot of people who were sort of bouncing off like a lot of the executional aspects of this game. Yeah, totally. I think there was like a lot of folks in the forums who were not having a good time with, with combat sections who really hated this one prolonged uh, turret sequence that was then that is then immediately followed up with another shorter, slightly different turret <laughs> sequence. Um, and I think all of that stuff is totally fair. But also, I think to some degree, it was it was interesting to play this game and to think about when it came out, which was yeah. like 2010, right? Which is like March of 2010, I think. Um, so before New Vegas hit in the realm of post-apocalyptic shooters, um, <laughs> at, you know, in the middle of the rise of Call of Duty, 
And I could imagine playing it then and being wowed by its devotion to place and to, not character necessarily, I don't think there are any standout characters here, as much as I loved Bourbon. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I Bourbon's the only one that really yeah. sticks out at all for me. But yeah. Totally. Um, I, I, like, Khan is just a Jedi, and, <laughs> and you know, everybody else, like the Ranger, uh, Hunter is really just like, big military dude, what wants to kill they the Dark suck. Ones. They all suck, dude. Uh, but But there is a sense of place... Um, and there is a sketching of places that are not places where you're supposed to be fighting, right? Like, the different metros all have a, a certain unique character. And yeah, they all definitely, definitely fit into this notion of, like, even in the post-apocalypse, we will just repeat all of our current cultural modes, you know, into forever <laughs> until we kill ourselves. Um, but at least there is, there was at least a, a notion of there being, like, quiet time you know a guy around a campfire with a with a guitar uh a a someone who is you know the marketplaces that have lots of people in them people arguing over what to have for dinner you know stuff like that definitely in 2010 i could see being something that would just completely wow you um especially from what is mostly a corridor shooter uh, and the combat felt mostly okay for me. Like I said, I had a, a pretty easy time with it, but I enjoyed it mostly. I enjoyed the feeling of fending off the monsters who were attacking me on the trains or, like, the, the, the like, hold this position while we try to open the door stuff. All, you know, it wasn't the best feeling gunplay of all time or but, something. Mm, it was so fine for me. I wish it felt better when you connect, when your shots connect. Like, I wish there was mm. more of, like, a visible... Like, a lot of times I feel like I'm shooting it character models that like don't react necessarily and then eventually they drop but i really like there's some good animations on the the dude specifically on the like the military folk not the monsters i think the monsters do look they just ragdoll yeah i think the monsters were having problems okay yeah yeah. there were a couple times with the military people where i shot them and they would drop to a knee or put a hand down on the ground and then fall over in a way where i wasn't sure if i killed them or not and that was always that was always pretty cool i just loved how shitty the weapons felt in a way that, like, <laughs> yeah. and this is something that, um, like, I think a lot of games have created an expectation about how gunplay is supposed to feel and how it's supposed to feel good. Like, the, yeah. like everyone, like everyone talks about how weapons feel in Destiny, right? The guns do feel really, really good, but they also feel they're they're designed to like maximally empower you, right? Like right. the 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 gun is meant to sort of, uh, you know narrow the gap between thought and execution. What I love you are in, the gun, yeah. right? Like, yeah. And in Metro, the gun is a cobbled together piece of trash, <laughs> uh, with like made out of sheet metal and held together, like bad soldering. And that is the tool with which you're going to get through this world. Like the first submachine gun you're given is just called the bastard, right? It's got yep. the, uh, the side loading magazine, with bullets basically just like I don't know, just thrown in there, right? Like there's no, it's just like the bullets are all resting in there. It yep. slides through the feed. It also blocks your view, uh, so like it just has a huge. Like you're looking at the back of all these bullets and trying to like peer over. It feels like your gun is a tank. Well, it looks like, well, it looks like it was fall made. Out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. 
totally. It looks like it was made. It looks like if you gave me two hundred dollars and sent me to a fucking to a a, a, a shopping mall or a, a a strip mall that had a Home Depot next to an Office Max, I'm like, build a gun. Like, all right, I got you. Give me a second. Give me that. Uh, what, is, what is that? A file system? All right, let me get the metal from that frame, and then I'll put that into this into this caulk. You know, this caulker, and then I'll attach. Uh, you know, CO2 cans. Let me add a CO2 canister to this. Uh, it's a gun. Now it's a gun. Also, some nails, I guess. Yeah, and like, it's great. The like, so that first shot, machine gun. Like, if you fire any kind of burst, like your first shot will like you know fly true. Your second shot will start to go third, fourth, every shot after. You're basically just <laughs> spraying everywhere. Like, there is no handling yes. that recoil. It is complete trash. Uh, meanwhile, like, you know, you've got, or you've got the pneumatic ball bearing rifle, which is really mm-hmm. good and powerful, except it really isn't that good unless you overpressure it. So you've got to stand there, like, before you make your move with a freaking, like, hand crank. Uh, pump. That's so good. You gotta max it out, but then you've overpressurized the gun, and so all your air is leaking out, and you've got like 30 seconds to find someone to shoot with it before you need to stop <laughs> and recharge. Like, I love this stuff about the, about the weapons. I wish... Like, they all feel bad, but kind of amazing. Yeah. It's the, it's, it's a weird thing because I was saying earlier that I wish I had more restrictions on me to, to really sell the survival, you know, fantasy or whatever. But actually, when it comes to weapons, I wish I could have held one more because mm-hmm. I would have, I, I didn't experiment a lot. At a certain point, I had a revolver that had the night scope, a silencer, and a stock on it, which was like my default weapon for 90% of my opening combat, you know, uh, encounters. Then I had a shotgun for when the monsters showed up and for when things got a little too hairy up close. And then I had the, the, the Kalishnikov. I had the AK, uh, for most of the game. And then you eventually get like a new AK that is like really good. And it's just like, oh, well, I'm set. Like, I'm not going to change this equipment loadout even though this seems to be a shotgun made out of a bicycle like literally actually that is one of the guns in this game uh and and i didn't take it because it was not as good as the other stuff i already had and i can't believe i played a game and didn't get to shoot the gun that was made out of a bicycle (laughs) so that's that's on me i guess i got the electromagnetic bearing rifle really fast uh that thing's cool as hell yeah no it's it's awesome but it basically meant i'm not giving this up well, I missed two big weapons, apparently, I found out later. Um, there's a a shotgun called... I forget what it's even called, but there's a really good shotgun. And then there's a sniper rifle called the Hellbreath. Is that the one you're talking about, Rob? Or is that- no, because mine, mine didn't have a scope, man. So it was, like, accurate as hell, oh. but it had a laser sight. So, like, I literally just had to point and shoot. But, like, to take advantage of the range advantage I had, I really needed to be careful. Right. So, yeah, there's a rail gun um, called the Hellbreath. Um, and it's just in someone's room. It's in Andrew the blacksmith's room, and I just missed it. I just missed it and never saw it again. Were you playing in uh, Russian? Is that why you never heard about Andrew I, the blacksmith? No, I met Andrew the blacksmith, oh. but he's like, oh, I put on these overalls. You got to go pretend to be a, you know, part of the Red Army that's sneaking into this next area. <laughs> I was like, all right, yeah, I'll do that. And I did not notice that he had like rad guns inside of inside of his uh, his apartment or whatever. So, oh well. <laughs> Sorry, heavy automatic shotgun. I'll get you next time. <laughs> and there, um, there's just so much about this game that not not to backseat game design, a game from eight years ago, but 
There's so much <laughs> about this game that I would have loved so much if it had nothing to do with combat, which I know is a terrible thing to say, but whatever. Like, no, it, I don't if think... If this you... were just... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I don't think it's a terrible thing to say, though. Like, the stuff that I was really digging this playthrough was, like, hanging out in the stations and, like, listening mm-hmm. to people talk. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's just... Ugh. If, if it was like, oh, you just never go into the tunnels, you just hear about the tunnels. Maybe you peep through and see a tunnel at some point, but just otherwise that it was just like a combat-free misery simulator. That just seems like <laughs> it would be a, a more successful game. And I and I really do appreciate what does work here in terms of the atmosphere and the story. It's just, yeah, it, it for me, the, the both the difficulty and the control issues and, and everything else just kind of kept it from being an enjoyable game to play but that is also okay with me as long as i don't have to play the game if that makes any sense uh i I worded that poorly as if the gameplay itself was the talking to people and trying to figure out the weird things to do that would actually affect uh, the world and so on and so forth Mm. Yeah, I can imagine that game. There's a lot of versions of this that I would have loved, right? Like, I I definitely went into it knowing it was a linear story-based game. Like, I knew that there were... Uh, I knew that it was like, okay, now you're going to go into this place. You're on kind of a journey through the tunnels, and you're you're kind of meeting the different factions as you go through. But I, I couldn't help but wish that there was a moment, at least, where it paused. And then maybe there's one, there's one tiny moment of this, which is there's a place where um, it's called Cursed. It's one of the mm-hmm. later um, tunnel or one of the later settlements that's just really bad. And it sets you up as like, all right, this group is holding down the door. Uh, it's under attack constantly. And you have to go out and collapse a tunnel and close an airlock. And those two things made me dream of a version of this game that instead of that, what if you'd gone into Cursed? Or if not Cursed than Polis or Armory or any of these other kind of major uh, locations. And you would just, for two hours, been able to, like, set up a home base there um, and then go off to do side missions in that area. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, here's our HQ. Like, here's the place where you can come in to, to get uh, ammo and, and more supply, more masks, whatever. I, I I did sort of expect there to be moments where it would be like, okay, we really need X resource from above. Go up, go up, get it, bring it back. And then we're like, on another mission, you're going to go up and explore a different place and kind of gain a familiarity with some hub or something like that. And there is nothing like that here. You're always moving forward, which is fine. Like, I'm not saying that that's a problem necessarily, but the version of the game that I would have loved would be more, a little bit more State of Decay, a little bit more Stalker, I guess, in that Yeah, in that that's sense. what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Can I interest um, you? You can, except every time I look at Stalker now, I'm like, I I think I missed my window on it. Like, I don't have the time to mod it to make it something I'm enjoying anymore. Oh, it just just takes two short hours. Uh, No, it's much faster now. But But you know what I mean, right? I'm, of course, the immersive sim thing is, is less for me, even less interesting than the systemic thing, than the thing of, like, the open world systemic driven uh, give me the give me the version of this that, that lets me manage a colony that lets me manage one of these these um, bunkers that gives me like the fallout mm. uh, shelter view and then also lets me get out go out on missions to kind of like get the nails I need to build a new expansion where there's a cool kitchen you know so this is um, something that bugs the hell out of me by the way because you're referring to a couple stations um, yeah one of the things I love is the sense of life. Within the stations, like, uh, you know, I think one of the first stations you go to, I think it might be uh, maybe Riga or uh, or where the Hansa are set up. 
there's a guy on a radio trying to raise other uh, – I mean, he just sits there and he tries to raise other cities on the radio. Just mm-hmm. endlessly. Mm-hmm. That's his day. And guys collect around him. And start shooting the shit and start talking about other people they've heard on the radio, right? Like, yes. this guy tells the story about, like, a tank regiment that was out there in the countryside at one point, And, like, they had solar generators and seemed to be making a go of it. And then they went off the air and nobody will ever know what happened to them out there. Uh, there's another, uh, like, in the First Station exhibition, uh, there's this great exchange where this guy talks about he's remembering springtime in uh, St. Petersburg. And, uh, you know, what the air tasted like. And, you know, all the greenery. And he sort of finishes with, like, what a beautiful world we've destroyed. Uh, And you get a sense of, like, the memories these people have and the things they've Mm -hmm. sort of carried with them from the previous life, but also the new culture they're building in whatever the identity of their new station is. And one of the things this game does is very early it establishes there are certain important stations on the line that are, like, major cities, right? Like, you're from Exhibition, which is not insubstantial, but, like, you're kind of a backwater yokel in some ways in the systems of the metro. But you're trying to get to Polis. And Polis, as the name implies, is, like, the... Uh, station. It is. It's sort of the metropolis of of the metro. The entire game. I'm looking forward to getting to Polis. Like, man, what's it going to be like at a at a station where like they're really making a go of it? Like where they're really like, building. Yeah, they talk about it like, oh, there's three stations as part of Polis. It's like at the heart of everything. There's so many people, and you skip it. You get there. <laughs> And you were ushered into a freaking cutscene. It sucks, dude. It sucks and so bad. Out. You never get. You get to see like the you, grand concourse. Basically, you get to see a grand yes. old. You pull uh, in. Yeah. When I pulled in, Rob, my my. This is where I stopped. I stopped after the sequence you're talking about. So I pulled in, and my my expectations went through the roof because, like, you pull into what looks like. Like, you know, most of the metro stations that you've been to look like subway stations, right? If you're, if you're, for me, I'm from, I'm from New York. My subway stations are cramped. There's like a place where you can board. Uh, and then, and then obviously they've kind of built out a, a world, uh, you know, little, little societies in the, the cramped corners. There's lots of like, um, you know, shacks built right next to each other, kind of stapled together, uh, using, you know, using as much space as possible. You can, you can see where, you know, an overpass or something, an overhanging, uh, you know, level has been turned into a kitchen or like someone's built a scaffolding so there can be a kitchen on a bi-leveled, uh, uh, open space. You pull into, into Polis and it's like pulling into a proper train station, like a, like an it Amtrak like old station. Pen. Honestly. Right. Totally. It does. It totally looks like that where there's just like huge area for, for big fucking trains to pull into. There's the, it goes deep. You can see like it's the one of the first times that it, underground where you can see straight ahead for more than 10 or 20 feet in every direction. It's just like, oh, it's all open here. And then they put you in a cage and they walk you through the cage and they check you in and someone goes, what's your name? And you, you know, they go through the opening thing in that little room. There is one person who can sell you ammo and one person who can sell you guns inexplicably in the check-in room. Uh And that is when I should have known that things were going to go bad because it meant I wasn't going to get to go to Polis. And instead, the thing that you you were saying happens, happens, Rob. Yeah. Like literally like, well, we'll have our meeting now. You can wait outside. And you don't even get to see the meeting. No, they shut oh. the door, literally. Now, I, admittedly, in terms of the game's themes, actually, this is kind of appropriate. Like, basically, you get to the center of power, and they're like, yeah, we'll figure out what to do. Thanks. Bye. And, like, you're kind of locked out. That <laughs> kind superstitious of superstitious ass. Like, yeah, totally. But let me walk around but, this freaking world. Like, I right. have, like, 
I have been through so much to get here. <laughs> like it, I really do feel like um, Kevin Costner at the end of Field of Dreams, right? Like I don't mean to say what's in it for me, but what's right. in it for me? Uh, right. I just wanted a few minutes to go around an RPG hub area, basically, mm-hmm. and talk to people and like see what it's like to live. Like, because that point, I think you've been through Curse Station, which is a station that is always basically on the brink of destruction and basically mm-hmm. going over the edge. Like it feels like they've been under siege and they have lost and you're there to pick right. up the pieces. There is so much grim, depressing shit that you see to get to Polis. It would have been nice to have a few minutes to hang out under the closest thing to natural light you see in the entire Metro. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. You literally are coming right from fighting the Nazis at Black Station. Like, you're literally the last place you were was, like, the heart of the Reich, you know? Um, And, like... From that, I totally wanted that sort of like, oh, it's going to open up and I'm going to see, I'm going to be able to go get a hot dog or whatever, you know, like I'm going to be able to go into whatever the, the metro is. What are you doing here? Is. Right. Like, I'll take it. Shit. You know? And, and no, it turns out no. Uh, Could have even been art there. Totally. Well, like it is under the library, right? Like that's part of their whole thing. The thing about Polis is like they have computers. They are, they have like scientists they have people who read they have like lots of people who read the the culture there breaks out into a weird caste system that you you choose which caste you want to serve under at least that's in the book in the in the game i think there's only one caste and it's like it's just the cast of people who defend polis but like the notion is there of like upstairs is knowledge we are the closest there is to the the past life and we just don't get to see any of that until it's time to go shoot more monsters yeah, that's um, not great. You mentioned the uh, the books there for a second. So uh, Sputnik asked, uh, for the Waypoint crew, have any of you read Metro 2033 or Roadside Picnic prior to playing these games? Uh, if so, did it affect your experience in any way? If not, were you inspired to read those books? So I read most of Roadside Picnic about a decade ago. I did not finish it, um, but it's been a decade uh, that said, like, I think that book had has definitely, you know, impacted everything in this broad genre that I played um, from Stalker to Fallout to Metro um, uh, to even watching the Stalker film, obviously, mm-hmm. um, which all have different unique takes, but a lot of similar language and a lot of similar kind of overarching themes, I think. It is such a weird lineage that this entire thing has followed because, like... <laughs> Roadside Picnic, first of all, is set in Canada. Yes. Um, I think in part because they couldn't set it in the Soviet Union without possibly raising censorship hackles. So it had to take place <laughs> in a pla- It had to take place in a region that was like interpretable to like yes. a Soviet audience, but at the same Cold time, like was not trees. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Just up here in lots of space. 
you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You ever been to Northern Alberta? Not not that far uh, from from what a lot of us are familiar with. Yeah. Uh, so you got roadside picnic, and then Tarkovsky makes Stalker, which just basically is like, yo, it's it's Russia, right? Like it's, <laughs> but it's also about like the detritus of the war, um, and it, Stalker is a really interesting and and strange movie uh, in, in a lot of ways. Sure um, and then they both like. Both of the, the both the book and Stalker the movie inspire this game that draws from both, and Metro's pulling from twenty thirty three, but is still referring back to Stalker as well. Totally. Well, the other thing is Stalker the game, which shares some uh, lineage in terms of cr- uh, crew of people who worked on it in terms of studio. Right? Is that correct with Metro? Yeah. So Four A is a breakaway studio from GSC. Now I've never. I'm not sure anyone has written the full like story of what the hell went down with GSC. Uh, yeah. GSC Game World made Stalker, and that game was a surprise hit. Like it was, it was huge. Like it, in, I think in like for USPC audiences, it became a cult hit. But like in like for for a company that size at the time, uh, it was a pretty massive success. Mm-hmm. Everything was pointed toward a Stalker too. I think work had begun on it. And then the entire thing fell the like just fell completely apart. Totally and there were apart. stories yeah. of like corporate malfeasance, um, mm-hmm. a lot of bad blood, I think, among some of the principals. And this is one of the reasons why there have been so many people in the years since. GSC was a big studio. There have been so many studios since then who basically come along and said, you know, well, we made Stalker, you know. Um, right. To an extent, that's true. Uh, but, you know, were you a lead on Stalker? Did, did you, did you, like did you create and invent that experience or were you a line developer more involved in like smaller execution doesn't matter a lot of people are claiming that as like part of their design lineage a gsc fell apart and a hundred game studios sort of rose to take its place but no real heir to stalker mm-hmm. well and one of the things i was going to say that comes out of the stalker game uh and then the expansions is an is a you know, maybe not. A, an, I mean, it's an explicit connection to nuclear energy, nuclear power, nuclear war through the 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 uh, you know shadow of Chernobyl, right? Um, the, it takes the the zone of Stalker. The game is the Chernobyl ex- exclusionary zone or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Um, that is not the case in the Stalker film or in Roadside Picnic. Yeah, like they hadn't happened yet, right? <laughs> right, like yeah. the Chernobyl <clears throat> crisis had not happened yet in either of those things. There is like a power plant towards the end of the Stalker film, right. um, but like it has nothing to do. It doesn't have nothing to do with right. Like, I think there's there's obviously some notion of like anxiety around powers that we do not know. But those are both those works are both much more like pretty directly about aliens um and about aliens as metaphor for other anxieties definitely uh, we get a little bit of that in metro 2033 we do get the like the note of i don't know if you found this danielle because i think this might have been something someone said so you may not have heard Thanks, this patrick but who bailed out on this yeah. podcast by the way <laughs> yes who also isn't here now there's a moment where like uh, someone explains that if you get to if you ever see the kremlin don't look at the stars oh my God, so good. At, the, at the top of the the towers of the kremlin because you will become permanently transfixed to them what? and like 
okay, that's so potent of a, of a metaphor that you can interpret a bunch of different ways. Is that about, is that about dreaming of the past, the, the Kremlin's past? Is that, about, and like Russia's past? Is it about, you know, thinking about, uh, what the, what it means to, to have a national character in this moment where you are, where, where the national character has been completely fragmented? Um, is it, uh, is it about specifically a, a historical moment in Russian governmental power and, and what the history of that, of those buildings is? You know, is it about the alien that lives in the Kremlin's basement that does mind control shit? Because it is also about that, to be clear. Uh, um, There's a lot happening there. And there are lots of moments of that stuff. Uh, And it's interesting to see which of those Metro, which of those come from something like Roadside Picnic and Stalker, the, the film, and which of those come from Stalker, the game, and which come from Metro 2033, the book series, which I've not read, but which does, from what I've read, does seem to also play in that milieu, you know? Yeah, I've always, uh, this is related, um, I've always seen Stalker and Solaris as being sort of in the same universe, or being in yeah, the sure. same, of the same continuity, where some mm-hmm. of the same things were kind of going on, although it's never obviously explained, and of course that would kind of ruin it if it became like, oh, it's a franchise now. Here's the Stalker God, Solaris franchise. Like, it's the opposite of all those things. It. Exactly. It's yeah. the opposite of all those things. It's like a very dirty and, and grimy and beautiful and gorgeous sort of vision of what the future is and can be. And it's beautiful and utterly fucked up and amazing. I went through a really serious Tarkovsky phase. I guess I should probably just, you know, I should just admit this, that like when I was in an MFA film program that I had a Tarkovsky (laughs) phase. And uh, yeah, you want to talk about who you were a decade ago, Austin, reading Roadside Picnic? That's who I was. Uh Totally. Do those films still resonate with you or do, do? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I, like I will, I will have a moment where I'm just like, I'm just gonna put Solaris on. I'm, I'm gonna so do good. other things, but I'm just gonna put it on. Guys, I just got a Filmstruck uh, subscription. Oh, uh, ever nice. since the TCM good. archive sort of merged mm-hmm. with that, and uh, it's so good. And there's oh. there's a lot of Tarkovsky <laughs> on that because mm. they got the Criterion Collection. Right. Uh, sure. so, oh my god, yeah. they do. Oh yeah, no, for sure. You can, it's oh. like Tarkovsky on demand. Oh uh but but do you see like Daniel when you look at Metro, do you see like do you see the Tarkovsky like influence and lineage or yeah. is it so many removes it's kind of vanishing? I mean, it is certainly removed, absolutely, but it there there's strands there. Like it does it does feel like not that it's in the same universe, but that it's in a it's in a place like those places it it gives me similar vibes if that makes sense um which i really appreciate and that's what kept me kind of going even as i was like dizzyingly uh attempting to make my way through this game <laughs> literally stumbling through well your tomb yeah. was going to make his way through the game pretty much no matter what <laughs> uh, he had places to go well like think about the difference though so so i think you're totally right i think that there is you're you're right to say that you can see the lineage there's enough terminology here there's enough um there's enough shared um feeling especially in the quiet moments especially when you're you're just in between fights and and civilization like when you're not in a metro station and also you're not in the middle of shooting a bunch of monsters and you're just kind of walking with this is one of why a lot of the bourbon stuff is my favorite it's just like walking through creepy tunnels yes. or when you first meet Khan and the anomaly shows up and like zaps a bunch of monsters for you which is like the most you know people talk about video game storytelling as being heavy-handed and obvious and unsubtle and that is like such a great example of that <laughs> it's like 
the tunnel has anomalies that are hard to explain. And you're like, oh, wow, really? Like, yeah, oh, an orb of electricity, like, goes down the tunnel. Like, okay, that's cool. That's cool. And then, like, seven seconds later, it's like, uh-oh, it sounds like we're being chased by monsters. Don't worry. The anomaly will get it. And it just kills, you know, 40 different of the of the, the Novosalis or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, oh, like, the original version of the anomaly as written is so much less explainable than a ball of electricity oh kills a bunch of things in a row. Do you know what ball. I mean? Yeah. I'm remembering well, the sequence think- where, like, one of the main char- one of the early main characters in Roadside Picnic just walks mm-hmm. into what is described as, like, a strand of silver. Right. And nothing happens. Right. And there's this like horror and dread. And the guy's like, what? Like you see and the main character has no idea what the hell he's just witnessed or what it means. Uh, But there's this feeling of dread. Like there's shit you can't explain. Yes. And that that doesn't really happen here. And in fact, like everything is fairly explainable. Even the the dark ones, even the, the alien slash next evolution of humanity slash old ones, like whatever they are. <laughs> mostly explainable by the end of this game um and like the, the game is actually them trying to explain themselves in a way right yeah uh, which is which is interesting but i can com- but but compare that to i think there there are games out there right now stuff like uh connor sherlock's stuff if you've played voice of vimana or um marginalia or mm. um god what is the um he had it. I think it was him. I think it was him. There was a game called not not the other game that has the word rapture in it. Um, this is going to kill me. Not everybody's gone to the rapture. Right. Um, he has a game that is just oh, it is it is uh, the rapture is here and you will be forcibly removed from your home. Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, this is you can find him on Game Jolt and on and on itch.io. Uh, itch. Um, uh, really, really creepy, weird. Games about moving through uh, haunted spaces and receiving, you know, information via dialogue, via narrative, via via voiceover um, that communicate that same sense of dread and strangeness in a way that um, is more aligned with Roadside Picnic or or Tarkovsky's Stalker. Here, I fear, and, and I think this is just true. Like Metro, Metro is really interested in the Ranger. In, I mean, think about it this way. In the Metro books, there are stalkers. And the stalkers are the people who go out and get supplies. Here, there are also stalkers, but those aren't the people who are heroic. The people who are heroic are the rangers, the guys who look like Master Chief, who like come in through the through the vault door and are covered head to toe in military gear and armor and, and bullets and weapons, who are the, like, rah-rah, kill them all, like... Uh, if if it is hostile, we kill it. Or but whatever it is the, false the thing heroism. That Hunter says it is, except that the that heroism is still what you have to do to win. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like you have to follow their path to succeed. Up to a and the, point. The, there, there's different ways. Uh, you can and all of the this. all of the enlightenment stuff. Most of the enlightenment stuff doesn't come from pushing that pushing away from that. You know what I mean? It isn't. It isn't like don't be like Hunter, the the ranger who wants to kill everything. That's the end choice to make. But the path to unlocking that end choice is sit next to this pipe for a second, which is a thing that ranger would that the rangers also do because they're supposed to be masters of the of the the metro. You know, it's not like they are. They're this weird thing that's like the best of all worlds as presented to you. And one of those worlds is hyper military like experts, and it's th- that stuff really frustrates me in in the presentation. Yeah, 
just a couple things here from people uh, who wrote in, just talking about the the sense of life in the stations. We had mm. a couple yes. uh, correspondence in our um, in in the discourse thread. <laughs> God, the the, the forum the thread yep. uh, at discourse that zone. A couple uh, people wrote in from uh, Eastern Europe, uh, various parts of uh, the former Soviet Union. I don't make assumptions. Nobody gets specific, uh, but mm-hmm. um. So uh, I'm going to botch the pronunciation here, but a uh, user uh, Xer Wanyer, uh is talking about how Metro evokes uh, something that's very real to a lot of people who grew up in the you know in the, in the late Cold War, uh, which is that you have to remember a lot of these countries were never fully rebuilt from World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's mm-hmm. talking about like there were lots of places that got destroyed during the war and were never repaired and. Uh, you know, as kids, we were given advice on what to do if we found a dud. Uh, there were constant monuments for right. people who died horribly, uh, often in the very place you were standing. And then there were people around who uh, still remember the forced transfers, constantly changing borders, mass murders, pogroms, uh, the communist era. Um, and then Siberian Reality uh, wrote in talking about uh, back home and in other Slavic countries uh, that I've been to, we often joke that we have two settings, being murdered and murdering each other. A lot of art produced there reflects this. It's it's hard for me to put into words, but it has this specific feeling to it. It's warmth and comfort steeped in heavy melancholy and with a bit of dark humor added on the side. If I could sum it up in a sentence, it would go something like, everything is bad. Everything will be bad. Let's have this brief moment of, of comfort, but never forget it will always be bad. Metro 2033 nails that feeling for me. The first few stations truly feel like home. Everyone is depressed and feeling the crisis is noisy. It can't smell good, but still there are some attempts at comfort. People are playing with their children. They're drinking, smoking, and sharing gossip and sad stories. They're sitting around a fire and listening to sad guitar music. In that sense, it is a very unique game for me as nothing I've played apart from Stalker has quite pinpointed that feeling. Nothing that I can remember at the time of writing anyway. Um... So yeah, so a couple of people who were like sort of familiar with some of the um you know, settings this is meant to evoke, it right. does resonate on that level and I do suspect there's a lot sort of between the lines uh, of this game that might go past the eyes of you know, a, a you know, a North American Western or Western like European yeah. reader. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Um, Foxtrot in the in the forums also had something that I think is a really interesting compare and contrast, basically kind of building on that same line of thought or part of that same line of thought, which was that they said that this is what separates the game uh, from from other post-apocalyptic stuff like The Last of Us and Fallout, is that the characters in Metro are, are coping with their newer, harsher life. They say that a lot of the NPCs and minor characters are in a surprisingly good mood and make light of it all. Uh, and there's a feeling that this society is not only adapting, but doing it without grumbling the whole way. Uh, I remember reading something a long time ago about how this attitude is something adopted in many Ukrainians uh, by many Ukrainians, considering the, their hardship that they face over the course of the last century. Um, and I think that that is an interesting difference. Like when I think about the characters of Fallout Three um, or or Fallout Four, there is a lot of just like wackiness and a lot of like. A lot of people who, like, cannot make sense of the world in any way, uh, or people who are ignoring that there has been um, a disaster and are just attempting to, like, you know, someone like like Mr. Tenpenny or whatever is like, I'm just going to always be a rich guy. That's my that's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be the rich guy who owns this tower and is an asshole. Um, and by and large, the NPCs you meet here, and I wish you spent more time with them, are people who are like, 
yeah, like, we're going to eat this rat, and that's what's for dinner, and, like, I'm even going to joke about it a little bit, because I know, because I'm old enough to remember a before time, where we were not eating rats, but also, I got to eat something, so I'm going to eat this rat. And that stuff is 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 really unique, I think. Um, and I just wish, like, like both of you, I think, we spent a little more time in that part of the world. Speaking of the world building and the sense people get of it, uh, so uh, Petrock wrote in, I missed out on playing Metro when it first came out and never got the chance to dive in, but I've always been vaguely interested in it just because, you know, it may as well be a stalker-adjacent game. On the comparison between what I saw in Austin's stream uh, that I had on in the background while working and Stalker, one of the first things I noticed was that the universe actually has women in it, something that Stalker utterly lacks. Uh, <laughs> oh, does it, it? I didn't know that Stalker well, was, like, completely... A... I think they mean the game. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. No, the, yep, yeah, yep, no, the yep, game. Yeah. The game for sorry. sure. Uh, but the, I mean, the movie's about fleeing from women. Uh. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's also that little girl who has psychic powers. Anyway, uh, go ahead, go ahead. True, true. Well, no, I mean, like that's kind of. I'm sorry, I'm distracted because I, I'm like out my windows is the heaviest snow I've ever seen in my life. Oh wow! Uh, like literally, there is a building that I have seen through several like like snowstorms. It's only about like a like a hundred yards away. It's a big tower. You can always see it. Uh, it is gone. Uh, so wow. that's pretty awesome uh, through the windows. It's very uh, apocalyptic this, here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the zone has you. Yep. But so yeah, Stalker is pretty much. I mean, there aren't many like. There's not many characters at all in Stalker. Basically, it's like four different like character models. Basically, that go through the world uh, all decked out in uh, you know military garb. But uh, the role of women, uh, Danielle, what did what did you make of of sort of the the gender dynamics of the world uh. of Metro? So this bothered me a little bit. And again, I, I, I played several hours and then kind of looked on YouTube. So I, I wasn't sure at first. Oh, if like, oh, maybe you meet somebody later. Uh, but it, it, from what I played, and uh, you, you both also assured me that this is pretty much the truth. Uh, women are pretty much relegated to uh, some pretty, uh, I guess you would say, traditional roles. Like it seems like the only women I met were cooking or taking care of kids or they were sex workers. There was a, you know, a, a, a nice lady who definitely was a, a sort of like a showing what she wanted to do and how she makes her money. So I think I missed her entirely. I, I, she appeared on screen for me in one of the early settlements yeah. and then walked past and then I just couldn't find her again. So I, I was actually curious, like, what is that sequence? I, I mean, like, I didn't. In- encounter her really either i just watched her she oh, okay. walked away and she kind of like pats her ass a little bit like yeah gotcha you know, it's like okay a, i don't know if there, there might be a sequence there i i missed it too if there's something interesting there please write in and tell me i'm i'm interested it just seemed like there's not there's not really a place for women in this world that isn't uh the things that women could do in you know in the 40s uh in america and like that that both seemed a little off to me as a uh as a product of, uh, you know, post-Soviet, the post-Soviet world, since to my understanding, uh, it's, it's not that women weren't in traditional roles, but women were also somewhat more welcomed into the workplace in, in a lot of ways in the Soviet world. And also because it just kind of sucks a little bit to play the game and be like, well, this is what the men folk do. The men folk go out and fight and the, the, <laughs> right. the little women stay at home and have babies, which first of all, 
I mean, this is a pretty crappy world. I, you know, like, I don't know if I want to have a baby in this world first. And, and second of all, that, that sort of sucks if you have other skill sets. What if you would be a great medic? I, I'm also the kind of person who can't do anything or play anything or watch anything without putting myself in that world because I'm a child, I guess. But I really do do that with everything that I play uh, and, and, uh, and watch and get really into. And so when I have that sort of sense of like, oh, there's no place for somebody like you here, I get kind of like, well, that sucks. You know, I kick a rock and I shrug my shoulders and I, I get a little sad about it. Um, I don't think I'm the only person who's like that in the world. But No, totally. You know. totally. So I will say that um, if this game exists in isolation, I would find it a little more defensible maybe. Uh, but I think like Metro Last Light, the sequel to this – introduces like things that actually make all of this more problematic uh right because metro last light has like a literal like uh there's basically two female characters two two women that you meet that will be memorable uh one is a stripper uh that will perform for you while you hide and eavesdrop on a conversation i think and the other character you'll meet is um like a general's daughter uh basically and she is a uh she is a ranger uh but Obviously, there's kind of an aspect of well, she's special because you know her dad. It's her dad's and her, her dad runs the entire damn army, uh, <laughs> and and uh, there's a sex scene with her too. Uh, so I mean, that's that's where women have generally popped up uh, in this world. Uh, so I think like what might be maybe some kind of comment or or some kind of like portrayal of society in Metro 2033. Last light makes sort of ring even more falsely or clumsily. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it fully succeeds. It doesn't because like in some ways I think it is trying to portray traditional gender dynamics and not as positives, right? Like one of the first things you see is, um, you know, a guy being ba- like, you know, he's basically hiding out in, in a bar trying to hide from his wife and she's lighting into him for being a shitty husband. Um, yeah. And as far as, like, the Soviet system, as I understand it, there was there were a lot of gains made by feminists in the early days of, uh, you know, the Soviet system, basically pre-Stalin. Yeah. Uh-huh. And a lot of it comes to a screeching halt with World War II and doesn't get right. regained. Um, okay. There's this book um, by Konstantin Pleshikov, uh, Stalin's Folly. Great book about the opening of um, Operation Barbarossa. But his background, his mom was a uh, power station engineer in, uh, I think, one of the Baltic republics. Um, but, yeah, so she was a young woman, uh, you know, in the 30s, and she was running a major power station by herself. Um, wow. Like, and it was an impressive, like, she had impressive credentials, and she had an important position. And World War II changes that because one of the things that Stalin does is embraces really traditional, uh, like Russian values and gender roles. That's kind of the deal he makes to hold on to right. power. And apparently it never fully goes back for the rest of the Soviet, like rest of Soviet history. The pendulum doesn't swing back. A lot of those gains are lost and they're not recovered. Man. Yeah. Well, like that's, that's also briefly like part of one of the reasons I, I, Wish that there were a little bit more time spent in these spaces, mm-hmm. right? You meet the Reds, you meet the Red Line here, which is one of multiple leftist groups in the Metro 
2033 universe that are different to some degree. There are Trotskyists, Trotskyists in there who, who believe in kind of local permanent revolution, uh, ongoing revolution, instead of having a single state, having, you know, each metro station can be, you know, should, should have its own revolution and understand uh, what communism means for itself in those locations. There are, uh, in the books, there are uh, kind of guerrilla fighters inspired by by Che and and Che's understanding of of Marxism and communism. But those don't show up in 2033. They sort of show up in Last Light is my my understanding, but there's not a focus on what life is like under these people. So instead, we get the red line, and we get, okay, it's, it's a Soviet police state. We don't see the size of what that place looks like or how harsh the police state is. We get kind of one very quick example of a guy being harassed and, and, uh, uh, you know, kind of pushed around and bullied by, uh, secret police and you kind of stumble your way into his, into his room for some reason. I mean, you stumble your way into his room because it's the only door that's open. You can't go any other way. And if you wait for the conversation to end, it just waits for you to open the door and become, you know, get arrested with him. Um, uh, but but you know when you read the when I when I go to the wiki and read like what what is the red line it's like oh this is the most populous faction in the in the world like, we see it for two seconds um, and I would love to have spent more time there and actually gotten to know characters who live there and part of the part of the my problem there is like one to to add on to what Danielle is saying like we don't ever get what you know the life of of any person is but especially not really what the average woman is like in in the world of metro um we don't see why it is the case that that there wouldn't be more stalkers and uh and rangers who are women especially because things are so so like (laughs) difficult that like oh no like you can hold a gun you can come upstairs and help get us some fucking food right like to not have one place where that is the case is is a difficult and well like legendarily in in Soviet history at least when the chips were down women served frontline roles in like large numbers right like huge numbers yeah totally and I guess that's where a lot of my again yeah I appreciate the historical context drop because I am definitely talking on my ass here that that is much of where my idea of things being maybe not quite as traditional in some ways for for Soviet women comes from it's it's that that image of Soviet women picking up arms and just being like fuck it we're going to we're right. going to fight um so yeah i i appreciate the nuance but- i i did also just look up that apparently you can pay uh, the sex worker, and uh, she she tells you to close your eyes and i guess she hits you i guess that's the thing that happens there. wait you get you get okay. rolled you, you get, get you get, get rolled yeah. a little bit there. Okay, well, I mean, the Farscape of... fan in me appreciates it at least. Ah, uh, yeah, they rolled us. <laughs> uh, <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Danielle. Absolutely. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, but yeah, I think you know something that you and I have talked a lot about, Danielle, is like yeah. you have to comment on these things. Like there are a lot of ways to interpret this in light of various aspects of like uh, Soviet history and post-Soviet history and what gender roles and were and you know, what they were maybe intended to be. But if you're basically going to present a world that is where basically like women are shrews, sex workers, or custodians, yeah. Yeah. you right. got to yeah. say something about that, about you why that is. Me like, okay, 
Right. Why is that? Is this part of an ongoing movement towards traditional gender roles because it's something that people that, – that men in power are clinging on to? Is this uh, – was this arrived upon through through any specific way or did things just shake out this way? Is this different from station to sta- from station to station? Like those are all things I want to know in general and also with, with, with gender, with race, uh, with, with, all, with politics in general. Like I, I – I was really let down by this game's uh, handling of both the the Red Line and the Reich, not because it didn't line up with my politics or anything, but because, like, I, I do think it's, like, a little centrist in moments, right? There's mm. definitely, like, oh, yeah. oh, they deserve each other type shit <laughs> happening here, right? It's like, oh, this they're both police states. But, of course, the, the, the Nazis are also all about genetic purity, so maybe that's a little different. <laughs> At least nod in that general direction. Well, he like, does more than nod. Okay, like, the Nazi, like, the red, the red place is a police state. It's a hostile environment. The Nazi stations are, like, literal hell. <laughs> I guess. I, I don't get that, because I, we just, you fight your way through it. You never stop in one. You never, like... You like move through black stations super quickly and you like get snuck through another one, mm-hmm. right? But you never see what life under the Nazis is like at all. Like, and in fact, their big thing is that they promise that they have, they actually have food and supplies, unlike the Red Line, who's forcing everyone to live a rationed, terrible life. I would have liked, anyway, but most of that is beyond the point, which is like, I just wish that this game actually delved into what life in these places was and and gave a history to that to those to those sides. And I my my understanding is like that conflict is pretty core to Last Light, which maybe I'll play before Exodus comes out or at least read more about. Um but it, it was just one of those things of like there's a sprinkle where there often needs to be you know a, a, a spoonful or a, right a dollop exactly. <laughs> I mean, and other times, again, I think that there is, it's so good at evoking, but maybe not so good at, at, at showing, you know? Mm. So in terms of like evocative sequences or things the game does show, like, are there any moments that stand out for you? Like things you played or, or, or things you saw that like, you know, captured your imagination? I think the first moment of with bourbon, when you're in, there's a, there's a, it's like one of the first times that you openly see that the world is shifting into this other dreamlike yeah. space mm-hmm. with the gate that's opening behind you and and that you need to go forward and help bourbon open up this other gate and you're being like pulled into the depths like below and behind is this really amazing like nightmarish sequence um and it's it is actually there is actually a moment of sort of like mechanical storytelling happening there which is you keep slipping in and out of the two modes of like looking at this kind of shitty sewer uh, room that's filled with loot that you can pick over. Um, and if you keep picking out the loot instead of moving to help Mervin <laughs> go open the gate eventually, you will, uh, you will be killed and you'll have to reload your game. Um, but, but if you get, you know, you end up getting over there and beginning to open the gate and then that's when one of the dark ones opens the gate all the way and you're able to kind of push through. And, and I really like that sequence and, and most of the kind of weird sequences in the first half of the game work for me. Um, minus one or two that I think were a little schlocky kids, the kids staring at the TV, the, like some of the, the, the stuff around that area was like, not, didn't do it for me at all. But the, anytime that the dark ones showed up and like disappeared really quickly or waved at you or mm-hmm. whatever, like, yeah, all right, this is, this is working for me. You took mine. How about you two? You totally took mine. I, I was going to say that, that the first moment of having an awareness of an intelligence behind a dark one was like, yeah, all right, I see where this is mm-hmm. going. I'm going to push through in my nauseating 
run of this game <laughs> where Artem mm-hmm. can't stop walking. Um, so, so yeah. Totally. Uh, a sequence that I enjoy, like the conceit of it, but like I don't think it really they really carry it off. Uh, I think the Great Library is a brilliant idea. Uh, they introduce a they, they introduce like the, a monster called like the Librarian, mm. and it's basically like I mean all the monsters kind of share an aesthetic like it's just varying sizes of big lanky like black fuzz monsters, uh, <laughs> but the Librarian is like the abominable snowman uh, <laughs> for those of you who've seen <laughs> Rudolph, uh, but uh-huh. The catch there is you can't fight a librarian. Like, these things will just wreck you. Um, but they also won't attack if you just don't do anything. Like, if you, like, I think it's if you look at it and, like, back away, they won't attack you. But if you, like, try to move past it or, or, or you turn away, uh, they will charge. Uh and that's a really cool idea because you're you're out there. You've got your gas mask filters on. You kind of need to be getting a move on it. Your the time is limited, um, and then you've got to like do this almost sneakers esque, like slowly, carefully move through space and like navigate around these monsters. The problem is it doesn't fucking work. Uh, like right. the librarian behaves according to those rules that I laid out, only fitfully. Um, oh, no. Like. <laughs> Occasionally, no matter what you do, they're just going to come after you. And again, this is one of the right. ways that, like, this is emblematic of how Metro can let itself down sometimes. You'll have a brilliantly conceived sequence, but mechanically it just doesn't bear out. And so the entire thing ends up just feeling really arbitrary and not like a world that actually functions this way. Uh, but nevertheless, like, I love this idea of you're, you're back on the surface, uh, you're going through, you know, these old... Uh, you know, great archives and you're in this place of learning and it's now inhabited by this massively powerful and completely cryptic monster uh, that as far as you know, only exists here and is, you know, behaving according to its own rules. Unlike anything else in the game and you just have to navigate around it. I love that idea. I just wish it. I just wish it worked. I like all the, I like all the surface sequences quite a bit uh, as a matter of fact. Me too. It feels like the most stalker part of it, uh, stalker the movie, because I haven't played stalker the game, but it does feel like the most stalker part of of the whole thing, which I also super appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, I think that those sections were, were really cool. I, I like how uh, vulnerable I felt, if only because I didn't, partially because there were the demons that are flying around constantly, yeah. right? But also just because there are sight lines off into the distance, and it's like... I don't know. Are there bandits out there? Are there other other you know surface dwellers? Are there monsters? Like what's happening out all around me after being cooped up in the metro for so long? I like that. That I like that transition a lot. Um, I wish there were, uh, was a little bit more of it. Uh, the other thing I love is is D six as you're sort of reactivating this old Soviet bunker that you've been trying to get to to get at the arsenal inside of it and there's a lot of stuff you have to do to you know there's a lot of like run here and press the button go clear out this room down there but when you've done it all there's this massive like elevator ride uh and it's not even really an elevator it's like one of those massive like multi-vehicle like freight elevators uh that goes through this Mm -hmm. entire silo and as it uh as as it moves through the silo you just see this entire like 
collection of old Soviet military equipment. There's like rows and rows of like tanks and trucks and weapons and equipment. And as you're there, one of the uh, Rangers you're with is like, you know, basically saying this is, this is our ticket. Like, this is it. Like, this is going to allow us to, uh, you know, like basically make a comeback, right? Like this is the arsenal that's going to allow us to secure, you know, to secure ourselves and secure the future of the Metro and sort of reclaim uh, what is ours, right? And it's this really loaded uh, sequence because, well, for one thing, 4A Games is Ukrainian, uh, not Russian. And there's, <laughs> there's an element of, and this is true of Stalker as well, um, there's an element of nostalgia for the Soviet Empire that runs through it, but also like a great deal of wariness toward it, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I think this sequence sort of recognizes both of those on the, like the meaning of this and the different ways it can be in the, the, and the different ways all this equipment uh, can be interpreted is right there in the various ways characters are reacting to it. And what do they mean right. when they say, you know, we're going to take back what is ours. Um, and I think that's maybe well, go on. And even, with that, like, the solution being, oh, we're going to destroy this place where we think the Dark Ones are. How does that secure anything? Right. Like, even imagine. Imagine the world went to the Dark Ones. So we're going to talk, I guess, openly yeah. about the ending here, right? The two endings. Imagine that the fears that Hunter and and some of the other uh, rangers have and some of the other people, the people in Exhibition have about the Dark Ones are true. Imagine that the Dark Ones are coming to kill everybody, that they are uh, aliens or are the next stage of human evolution who want to replace us or any of those other anxieties, most of which are filled with with a sort of racial dread, a a sort of fear of of the other. Uh, Definitely a lot of xenophobia there. Um, You blow them all up. What's that secure? It secures a border. It secures, you know, uh, uh, your your safety from one threat. But the world is filled with threats. Like, you spend the game, you don't fight the Dark Ones. You know, there may be two sequences where you shoot at a Dark One because there's a threatening uh, fight happening with them. The by and large, it's regular monsters. It's the it's you know the whatever the 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 ones who jump on your train and stuff are. I don't know if those are the Novosalis or, or if there's another name for those. It is the librarians. It's the it's the red line. It's the fascists. It's bandits. It's the little rat ones that jump out of the holes. Like there's all sorts of other threats that are the actual. Um, problem, and I guess to some degree, Last Light is about that, right? Last Light is about the pending fight between the Red Line and the fascists, and and how the rest of the Metro gets caught up in that. Um, but the 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 language in the first game around all of that, the rhetoric around it, is this senseless notion of like, if all we have to do is get rid of the Dark Ones, and then finally, and by way of nuking them, basically, by way of mis- you know sending missiles at them. Uh, will be secure, and it's like it's never really interrogated. There is this other, the other ending, which is you have sat next to enough pipes and <laughs> you know refused to pick up the guitar player's bullets and have your your you've cosmic brained out. You've you know you've, you've opened your your mind your to the universe. Is and at your insight is maximum. Your in, exactly your insight is maxed out. You had all of your madman's knowledge, yeah. uh, and now you know that you should shoot the guidance system off the missile. Uh, and you, the the dark one looks up and says, "We want peace," which is what they've been saying the whole game. To be clear, like Artyom, if he hasn't had his 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 uh, his eyes open to the world, 
has missed has still missed very obvious cues throughout the entire game that the dark ones have, are really do just come in peace and want to talk to you because it's all they ever say is like come forward like let's hang do y'all do you want to smoke one well, that's i'm pretty sure it's a direct quote from it's one of so them. interesting too like from um, the first like the opening of the game is like oh the dark ones attacked last night okay well what right. happened uh anyone killed uh, no, we've got some guys who are injured and, uh, they're, they're shaking shaken up. Yeah. And people are terrified. Yeah. And, uh, your father, Alex is like, that's what the dark ones do. They break a man's body and shatter his mind or something like that. And it's yeah. like, well, it, and at first, like if you, if you don't know the, what, what's going to happen here at the end, at first you're like, oh damn, these guys sound scary. Like they're like, they're, yeah. they're the, uh, instantiation of like dread, but really, right. They were shot at, they, and they didn't kill anyone, yeah. and then they left. And But really, they wave at you from the other side of the children's yeah. park. Like, <laughs> you never have that experience of being scared by them directly. I think it's a pretty, again, unsubtle and pretty pretty transparent, like, oh, they're the good ones. They're good guys. They're good guys all the way through. <laughs> Until, from what, again, so I didn't finish it. I did watch the end of this game. There was, like, a chase sequence with one at the end who was trying to attack you and stuff for some reason. Um, that I don't think was in the book is my understanding. Uh, and in the book, he launches the missiles and then understands and is like, "Oh no, they're the good guys." Now I, you know, I understand now. I, I'm aware yeah. to the world. Um, but the 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 thing that I'm getting at here is that like that other ending also doesn't tangle with why th- that line of thought that blowing things up is going to save us all it really does is say like oh they are good and we are we're going to work together in some way they want peace this could open up a new line of thought for for the metro or for for exhibition at least not maybe not for everybody um but doesn't ever like we never see rtm say like whoa maybe the rangers militarism is not all what all that it's cracked up to be you know so <laughs> I don't know. I feel like a lot of that is implicit, I guess. Um, but nothing else is. That's the thing. This game is not an implicit thing. This game is not subtle about that stuff. Like, the it's this place is a secret police, so it's bad. It's this place is fascist, so so we you know, and they want genetic purity. Um, there, it's it beats you over. The, it's the anomaly is a lightning ball that kills everything, and so I. I I don't know why it's earned the right for me to think that this is a critique of the militarism of the Rangers specifically. I think it's a critique of the fascists like genetic purity line. I think that it's a critique of my fear of the other, but like militarism is still the way to go. Generally speaking throughout this game as a player. And I wish that they had actually, or maybe I don't wish they'd push back. You should fucking kill fascists. Like if there's an army of Nazis, you should not let them take over the Metro. (laughs) Uh, and so, like, because it doesn't get into that stuff enough to untangle it, and, and and maybe that's actually part of my problem is that like it doesn't it doesn't ever say actually this is a good example of when violence is a is a necessary reaction to, against existential threats versus this is uh, these are good dark ones and like if it, it, I needed it to tangle with that stuff and actually struggle through that stuff a little bit more for it to land anywhere in my heart, but Austin, you know. But Austin, let me hit you with uh-huh. this. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. What if we were the monsters all all along? It's true. It's true. It's true. I mean, maybe if I'd paid more attention on the journey. <laughs> so I mean, one, uh, I think you also lose morality, uh, enlightenment points. Like the more people you just like slaughter, uh, you are losing points as you do that. Uh, so if you're going like full on 
massacre throughout the game. I think you do, no matter how many orphans you feed, uh, I think you're still on track to get the bad ending. That's not it's not exactly okay. true. Uh, there are certain fights in which you lose those things. It's not every fight. Huh. It's not. Uh, and so, like, one of them is the frontline level, the level called frontline, which is where you are interrupting a, a fight between the Red Line and the Fourth Reich. Um, you get points. It's weird. So you get points. This is, this is kind of why I think that it's, it's, it's a little confused internally. You get points both from not killing anybody. If you don't kill anybody in that in that sequence, if you stealth your way through it, you get points. Um, you also get, and so that means you get points from listening to people, like overhearing people, um, and like you know listening to them talk about stuff in other in other places. And you also get points from like just sneaking past people and not interfering. But you also get points from rescuing prisoners and killing a Nazi uh, like general or whatever. Um, on you know who's about to execute three uh three red line prisoners. And so in, in that situation it presents this very strange notion of morality, right? Which is like if you catch a Nazi in the act. Yeah. Right. Then that one that you're allowed to that's do. That's the bad Nazi. Totally. You know? yeah. Totally. Uh, I think that that's a Nazi anyway. That might have been a commissar who was like about to execute some deserters. I'm not actually sure, but like which we, I really got to know what is the the core of what violence is acceptable because it's not consistent. Okay, yeah, I've just looked it up. If you free the three captured communists by killing all of the Nazis there, that's a morality point. But it's not a morality, but you lose a morality point if you kill, you know, uh, other people in that in that level, depending on which ones they are. It's like very... I don't know. Like, I don't know that it has a consistency here, which is fine. Like, it's hard to to put together a consistency when you are trying to do the awareness thing and not the good, bad KOTOR morality system, the Paragon Renegade Mass Effect thing. Um, but I, I, I just wish I, I came away understanding where this thought that violence was acceptable. Um, and maybe they're saying here it's only when it's literally when a Nazi has a gun to someone's head, um, which which in which case I feel like it's missing its own point to some degree. You know, yeah. Yeah. the world in which there is an expanded an expanding Nazi force, you can't just try to rescue the people that the Nazis have put guns to their heads. Um, I do kind of like so the inter- the other thing about this game though is like at the time playing it in like you know 2010 2011 whenever i got around to mm-hmm. it the idea of like oh there's communists and nazis basically reenacting uh subway tunnel versions of enemy at the gates uh forever basically that's just how things are going i was like at the time i was like okay i guess they didn't really like I guess they they were just kind of throwing stuff at the wall there. Like, fuck it, why not have <laughs> communists and uh, Nazis uh, fighting each other? And I guess what I missed is, one, like sort of the rise of uh, extremist movements and sort of uh, extreme, like, militant white supremacist right wings uh, yeah. began in Europe and Eastern Europe, like, began to, like, really pick up political momentum, momentum uh, much sooner uh, in some ways. Like, I think... Uh, the Orange Revolution in the Ukraine, uh, in Ukraine around 2005, 2006, uh, that was an instance where, like, you were starting to see 
Nazis basically mobilizing uh, politically, right? Uh, which was uh, like I like I have a friend who like literally she and her family pieced out of the country uh, mm. around that time because like they were uh, you know U- Ukrainian uh, Ukra- Ukrainian Jews, uh, and it was like, mm. well, we're not don't like where this is going, and mm. uh, and and bailed, and so like. I think at the time I probably underestimated the degree to which this was rooted in actual like contemporary Eastern European like political right. like context. But certainly now it doesn't seem that fanciful at all, right? That like now these struggles between like sort of a resurgent leftism of sorts, though again, this is a very uh, Stalinist uh, leftism that we see portrayed in this game, and then sort totally. of a resurgent. Uh, you know, ethno-nationalists, uh, you know, Nazi movement, uh, you know, is is alive and well in this game. And that doesn't seem... Well, it, it still seems like a bad retread of history in some ways, but it's one in which we're <laughs> right. all yeah. uh, mired. But I think what's interesting to me is that, like, this game is to a degree basically trying to lay out, like, we have like reactionary ideologies are are rising out of this context of like uh the sense of like national decay and this idea of like a lost past in, in some ways right. and part of that is it's very post soviet in that regard like people are remembering that but if you look at like what artium uh sort of like chooses to remember with like the the postcards on his wall, it's very just Western in general. Yes, yeah. totally. Or yeah. the music is like that too. Lots of jazz, mm-hmm. right? Lots of uh, like rock and roll, um, which which both of which are received in Eastern Europe. You know, during during the Cold War. By your know, average people as a vision of, but you know, not I'm not every average person, right? But there are definitely cases in which you see and 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 read accounts from people who are like, oh, listening to rock and roll was this moment of me thinking about what a, what the world here could be separately. I, you know, I I despite my my political leanings, absolutely uh, understand why someone who is living in in you know uh, uh, the Soviet Union in the worst times of rationing, in the worst times of of uh, uh, kind of uh, not just the, the secret police, but but in terms of like being the most paranoid times and the most oppressive times of of Soviet Russia. Like, I can see why hearing the Beatles or hearing the Rolling Stones would appeal a hundred percent. And so I think there is definitely a heritage uh, at work here of like imagining a different world. After all, who knows what the world is like in America at this time for in, in the world of Metro 2033, right? I can imagine RTM dreaming that maybe New York is still fine, or at least yeah. if people are living in the metros there, <laughs> maybe they have some live music to attend. But to. for certainly um, nobody is thinking about what became of people in Southeast Asia or parts of Africa, <laughs> right, right. like nobody, and I right, think, right. and I think to a degree that seems like a concerning oversight. But I think if you look at the game's text, like what we're dealing with up front is everyone in this world in some ways seems nostalgic. Some are nostalgic pretty much just for what they knew in old Russia, uh, right. but people like Artyom are nostalgic for this like idea of 
the West in general and the rest of the world is kind of basically forgotten or unmourned, uh, unvalued. Mm-hmm. But the entire thing, the, the crisis of this game is animated by this idea that that world is changing. Like we may not be able to regain this sort of Western ascendancy that we remember. Um, and how are we going to deal with that? Now, I think it's heavy handed as hell that like, oh, well, we got Homo Novus, uh, the dark ones. <laughs> Uh, like that's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a bit on the nose. Uh, it is problematic <laughs> yeah. in its ways, but I also think it is sort of getting at anxieties that are real. And I think it's sort of attacking those anxieties head on in some ways. Like you've got, uh, Hunter, the Ranger, who's basically like, well, fuck it. Like maybe basically saying like, maybe demographics are against us. Maybe the future is against us, but if we can't have this world, no one will like that's, that's what right. he says in the opening act of the game. And that's why I think this game very subtly, like not very subtly, nothing is very subtle in this game, but I think the Rangers are positioned as the bad guys because literally your hero, the guy who inspires you to go on this journey, his first, his first position and the, the position that ends up being sort of held by the Rangers throughout the game is, Whatever it takes, we're going to make sure our own survive and thrive in this totally. world and fuck everyone else. And Alex, your dad, who's maybe a little more liberal minded, he still thinks they're doomed. He's like, look, Homo Novus <laughs> is their world now. Like our time is done uh, and we've just got to adapt to that reality. But there's no stopping the future. Uh, so even he still kind of thinks that, like, again, our people, whatever that is, are going to be wiped out. And what our team's entire journey through the game is, is realizing that, like these divisions, this idea of who is ours and who isn't, who do we extend our sense of community and compassion to and who is denied it. That's what gets us all fucking killed. That's the root of our tragedy. Right, except that there are fascists in this game and that's where it falls apart. You don't get to do the like, we have to have open arms when also there are Nazis coming for you. Like that's for me where it has to get into that stuff. Otherwise it muddles its way into a, into a Bioshock Infinite both sides. Like, yes, we do need to have open arms for the, for the Homo Novus. We do need to approach them. The, the, the Rangers are wrong about though, about them. They're not wrong about the fascists and the game doesn't ever engage with that idea that there is a way to be critical around violence and violent resistance. It doesn't ever like work out that like, yes, we should talk to the weird things that are appearing in our dreams, but also the fascists who want genetic purity are the are in fact an extension of the same line of thought that animates Hunter and the Rangers. Like that connection is never actually made explicit in twenty thirty three. I don't know if it's well, made explicit in the book. I don't know if it's made explicit in Last Light. It might be, in, in which case I'm actually more interested in Last Light. You know, but I don't think that that stuff is is because the takeaway can't be all we have to do is listen. Like the the Nazis aren't gonna aren't or yes the Nazis actually want you to listen to the Nazis want to be at the table. <laughs> The Nazis want to negotiate with you and bring you under their protection so that you don't go to the red line or that you don't go to Polis or Hansa. Like, but I, I think those things are there. The Nazis are positioned also, though, I think, as a sentiment. Like, look at look at what the game shows us. Like, the Rangers and Polis, which they protect, protect the, the, the order world, the, the wealthy, the haves in this world, they're doing mm-hmm. just fine. If it means we have to drop a nuke on people we don't know or don't understand <laughs> to protect that, then fuck it. Go we'll do it. it. Yeah. In the meantime, yeah, there's Nazis and there's, uh, you know, Stalinists running around the tunnels killing people. But, hey, it's not affecting us. So, fuck it. We'll just secure our borders and build those walls ever higher. And right. 
they are so excited when they get to D6 and all that old Soviet military equipment. Like they totally, are like immediately totally. like, fuck yes, this is going to give us what we need to, to do what not to solve any problems. If they, they could have solved a lot of these problems if they wanted to, they have a lot, you know, they have a lot of resources. They have the knowledge. They have a great deal of power. The Rangers you meet are armed to the freaking teeth, much more so than a lot of right, the right, Nazis right. and communists you meet. They allow this stuff to continue in the tunnels because in part they lack the will, but in also, also I think in part because like they just don't care. They've got theirs. And, and it's an easier enemy to fight when it is not a person, yeah. right? Like when it is a weird alien figure that appears in your nightmares, like it's easy to rally the troops there, right? And, and not to think about what the human cost is or whatever. And again, like for me, it just, it gets, it gets so muddied. Like, there are levels where literally like black station is a level where you get a morality point for not killing any Nazis. Like that's fucked dude. Like I don't, especially when the takeaway is be careful who you kill. Like we shouldn't always use violence. Like those two things that mechanically reinforces a very naive sense of what I think morality is. And so I just, this is why I say, it's not that I, I'm like disregard this game. It's just, I wish that there, it had tried to dig in a little bit deeper and been more explicit in those places instead of in the, the anomaly is made of electricity and it kills everything. And I, I think part of that could have been done by, by resolving our issues with Polis. Like, yes, show us the citizenry of Polis who is unaware that people are suffering under the Stalinists and under the Nazis. Show us the, the, the kind of like coastal elites of Hansa who, who are like openly free marketeers who have left places like Exhibition to starve, you know? I, I agree well, with that. And I, I was going to ask if some of this is partially a symptom or even even just in our own reading of this game being made in 2010 and Nazis in video games in 2010 were, uh, you know, just a, a useful bad guy. They were just like, you yeah, know, it, it yeah. was the, <laughs> the the sort of generic version of, oh, it's a bad guy. You, you don't like them. That's fine. And, and without necessarily all of the thought and care that kind of, not thought and care, but the thought and care that is required to even think about putting that in a game right now. Um, I'm just wondering if that's part of it. And obviously this is more complicated because it comes from Eastern Europe. It's a, it's a place that is right. touched obviously yeah. in very different ways um, <laughs> from Nazism. So I, I'm just wondering if that's part of this. I'm wondering if that's part of what's going on here. Yeah, they are like pretty genericized Nazis here. I think the, the one note is that they have moved from being about racial purity to being about genetic purity, mm. which is easy given that the game's vision of Russia is pretty racially pure already. Right. We don't ever see, um, you know, people of, of various non-Caucasian descent in in the metros. That, as far as I know, I don't think we meet anyone who mm. is like East Asian or or Southeast Asian or you know anywhere anywhere but like pretty stock white. Yeah. Right? I think yeah. there are. I think there are people from the southern edge of Russia, like so, of so Russia. like uh, closer to like people of like Crimean descent and such. I think sure, there's a sure. few people like that in the world, but uh, yeah, for the most part, it's pretty, you know, northern like Slav. Khan yeah. Maybe even is is probably southern, right? Yeah, I could I could see that. Yeah, totally. That's fair. Um, so yeah, like I think that stuff is there, and they they are addressing it to some degree. I think the Nazis being about genetic purity, be having that same that same uh, anxiety around mutants is is something. But I, I yeah, 
Oh, I don't know. I think that there is still. I think it's even though it's from 2010, it's probably worth holding it to. Oh, for sure. Some standard here, you know. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. It's more of a. Hmm. I wonder where this came from. Then. Uh, I, saying that I they, think they shouldn't be blamed because of course they should <laughs> yeah i think it probably came from a lack of resources and time like everything else right i'm sure they wished that they would have had time to develop those ideas or in fact we know that they did because they there uh there's stuff in like beta documents about what who the fuhrer is for oh, the nazis okay. that does that stuff doesn't make it into the game you know yeah. maybe that's cut because they think it's not good enough but maybe it's cut because they don't have the time and the money to actually build them out you know yeah. so yeah. i don't know i mean i think it Look, for me it's I think it's more successful than you give it credit for being. Uh like I'm like I think it leaves a lot of ambiguity. I think a lot of it extends to there are so many games that position you as uh Dante traveling through the inferno with Virgil as his guide, <laughs> right? And like you can sort of see things, but you can't really interact with them. You can just sort of observe them and especially when your character is as silent as Artumia's. Like he has his diary entries, but he doesn't react to this stuff. He just sort of bears no, witness never. to everything. And at a certain point, you need to be able to, like, we're coming with all these questions. And I wish so badly that at some point the game stopped and Artum asked a few of these freaking questions, right? Like, so wait, yeah, we're starving totally. an exhibition. Polis, you're the center of the Metro. The Rangers protect all of us to some extent. But, like, why do you have all this? And we're... And what are you yeah, doing? We're dying yeah. by the day. We're dying by degrees. Uh, why aren't you concerned that you've basically got, uh, you know, Stalin, you've got, you've got a Stalinist empire building on your border? Like, doesn't that seem like it would be a problem? And on the other side of them, you've got like an ongoing campaign of ethnic cleansing of what, what might be the last humans on earth. Um, questions you would ask, this game doesn't. And I think in the absence of that, I'm okay. Like I fill in a lot of like I think oh the, like implicit. There's a lot of critique and, and discussion, but hell, maybe I'm projecting all that because like that's what I want to see. I like this game, uh, but I really wish at a certain point, again with like a polis sequence, maybe somebody stopped and spelled yeah. out what is going on and why the world is operating this way when some people clearly have the resources to have some agency. Well, and that's the thing. It isn't for me that I just needed it to be more explicit. It's that the ways in which it is explicit, the ways in which it has failed, the ways in which it has explicit failures, the ways in which we've talked about these other things not working for me, the ways in which it the the combat never really feels, never communicates a world in which survival is not an option or survival is very difficult, the ways in which it fails to let you spend time in these places and, and animate these characters as characters instead of as sketches, the ways in which it, it doesn't engage with uh, its its um, morality system in an open way, and instead kind of is inconsistent and lingering in the back where in, in the background and fails to use that as a vector for communicating something to the player, unless you open a wiki eight years later. Um, all of those are, are ways in which it could have communicated something about the haves and have-nots, about what its position is, and in, and in terms of where violence is worth pursuing and where it's not, in terms of what it understands the politics of of the rangers to be because after all they have miller they have hunter but they also have khan khan is also a ranger right 
um, the, uh, in terms of what the polis is and, and in terms of what the future of them, what the various imagined futures are, right? You can kind of gesture, to, it does gesture towards them. You understand that the red line is theoretically or, or started to pursue Stalinist policies in, in an ideal version or in a, in a desire to see an ideal version of the metro where everyone is provided for. You understand that the Nazis come out of an, uh, an idea that like the, the mutants are so scary and so threatening that, that of course fascism and genetic purity makes sense for them because the, the alternative is, is terrifying and along the way they become, you know, terrible Nazis who, who want to kill everything and, and who want, who, who decide who is a mutant, right? Um, and, and Paul is, of course, you know, it gestures towards the idea that they're going to take everything because they're so afraid of losing it and, and they're going to hold on to what they have. But none of that is dealt with explicitly. And when I say explicitly, I don't mean via lecture mm-hmm. or via right. codex entry. I do mean what you mean, which is like, let me have the quest line where I talk to somebody from this place and, and through their through whatever small illustration, even if it's just a fetch quest, we learn something about what their priorities are. And from there can extrapolate about their cultural identity and about what their what their culture wants. And I think, as always, the fact that this comes down to a pretty binary decision does it no favors. A binary decision that you might not even get because you didn't stand near the right pipes. <laughs> like you it, it because it comes down to that sort of that sort of thing, like here's a place in which I think Fallout New Vegas has plenty of failings here also. Um, but it doesn't come down to a purely binary decision. Like it does animate itself at the end of that game by saying, what are all the decisions you've made along the way? How do all of these various factors in- intersect? How do someone like the, the followers of the apocalypse who are a small group in Fallout uh, New Vegas and Fallout in general, who don't have a lot of agency, how can they shake out in these various play in these various, uh, uh kind of configurations of society that 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 emerge and metro was never going to be a fallout game like metro i'm I'm sure that 4a did not have anywhere near the budget that obsidian did when they were making fallout new vegas but the in terms of a game that at least has a, a way of working through and thinking about its various um political kind of configurations and giving you the sorts of like small opportunities to peer into what life is like for me, New Vegas, I think, sticks the landing a little bit better, even though I think that it drops the ball on its politics in a very similar way. Um, and so, I, again, I don't, I didn't go into this expecting New Vegas by any means. I knew it was a linear shooter. I, I, I think, in fact, it should be compared to games like Crisis Two, uh, where I think it, it, you know, does much better than those games in having an interesting world uh, and and places that I'm curious about and characters who I wish I could see more of at the very least. Um, and so, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be clear, I'm not totally down on it, but I, I, this is a pretty big drop off for me. It's a pretty big missed opportunity because they lay the groundwork so beautifully. And I, I love stepping into these places and seeing, you know, I go into, to the, the apartment buildings above, above ground and see the work that they've done in rendering these, these abandoned worlds. Like, I love it so much. I just wish that they had like, tied it together instead of having all of these loose strands be sadly the ones that force it to kind of unspool for me and like if it was just the janky combat or just the fact that i don't get to walk around polis or just the fact that the morality system is so obtuse i think i would be with you and would grant it uh, a little bit more freedom here but instead it's like oh these are the ones these are all the these are all the points i needed them to hit in order for it to really land with me and instead, I'm, like, left wanting. Which, as we wrap up here, like, 
does this game work? Do you, like, do you leave it wanting more? Do you leave it thinking like, I am curious what they're going to do with uh, Metro? I'm so yeah. curious about what they're going to do. I'm like, Exodus is still probably my most anticipated game okay. this year, even coming off of this. I'm still like, all right, show me more. Keep keep trying. Like, don't. This was their first game uh, in the series. I'm I am curious about Last Light. I might not play it tomorrow, but like, I would like to put some time into Last Light before Exodus comes out. Um, I, I think the premise of Exodus is really brilliant. Uh, you, you know, it takes place on a train that's slowly moving through Russia, um, which means a lot more above ground stuff. But to be clear, a ground train, not an underground train. Um, and kind of mini open world areas. Uh, and I think we'll probably get a better blend of like coming to know a place before you move on. I, I hope. That's my hope for, for their future game. Danielle, did um, you come away curious Danielle, what about all? you? Am I curious more? at all? Like, yeah, I mean, do, do you think this is a successful work or a failure or? Oh, God, it's really hard for me because I also like so much of my time is spent playing things that are so janky and so broken. So I really don't have a, <laughs> a leg to stand on at all. Like, I, I love games that one person made and are ambitious and messy and broken and barely work sometimes. So I can't I can't hide behind that part of it. Right. I can't do that at all. Um, and I am so interested thematically in what it's doing. And I'm so interested in the atmosphere it creates. I'm so interested in anything related to, to Tarkovsky. I know, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but in that lineage, it, it's it's evocative to me. And, and it speaks to me, especially like being completely honest, like it speaks to me in the winter when I'm really depressed. It speaks to me when mm. I'm having sort of bad times. That's That's when I put Stalker on or that's when I put... Solaris on is, is sort of to uh, be present in these worlds that understand that everything really sucks and is really terrible. And <laughs> I, 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 um, you said this earlier, Rob, uh, it was somebody on the forums who had commented that like, we never forget acknowledging uh, that everything sucks. We try to find some comfort, but we don't stop knowing that things suck. Uh, that's a really resonant thing. And I, and I do appreciate what this game has done with that. At the same time, I was put off by a lot of things. Uh, Austin, you, as usual, you, you sort of crystallized a lot of what, what does not work politically uh, necessarily about the game. And and also just sort of the, the way women are portrayed in the game is a little bit off-putting to me. Like, I can't, I can't lie about those things. Those things yeah. are sort of quality of life things for myself personally that, yeah, do I need to keep playing this <laughs> or can I play another 50 hours of Into the Breach, you know? So there are, there are sort of those issues for me. I don't want to call it a wash, and I also don't want to, you know, ignore the fact that I'm playing it in 2018 when I'm spoiled uh, for first-person right. games, especially after Wolfenstein. It's never been, like, my genre by any means, right? But something like Wolfenstein really, really, really impressed me on so many levels, and this is... Playing this felt very much like, oh, this feels in a lot of ways like the way... You know, six months ago when I was playing Wolfenstein, although I know, logically, that this is this game is eight years older... Uh, there's a lot of bits and pieces here. So to make this coherent, yeah, I think that's I think that's a totally fair. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a I don't think there's like a um, overlap between the people who made it, but you can totally see a history, uh, a lineage in which those games are both contributing to very similar, really like, atmospheric modes. Yes, decent at least decent budget uh, shooters that take place in very grim alternate uh, 
Well, I suppose one is is an alternate future, but there's some alternate history as well, uh, <laughs> yes. because yeah, yes. nuclear war happened in 2013, according to Metro. So yeah, we can we can call them both alt alt history, <laughs> right? We could group them in that way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but to be coherent, I do think this is a game worth playing. I do think it's a work worth exploring. Is it my favorite? No. And, and did it land on all on all uh, counts for me? Absolutely not. But I, I am very glad that I at least experienced this game and experienced some of what it was sort of putting down. I'm pretty mad at myself for not playing it in 2010 when I think I would have just loved yeah. it outright. <laughs> Same. It's like I, I missed that window in a way, and that's a bummer. Yeah, you know? it's coming back to it now. It's like... I think I'm probably granting it more of a pass than I should because to a degree I did play it back in like, you know, 2010, 2012, something like that. And so like, oh, I'm revisiting an old friend. I'm getting more out of it now. And I've had years to reflect on the story and I can project a lot of satisfying answers for myself into this world because like I want to give it to the, I want to give it the benefit of the doubt. But then also playing it today, I'm like, there's a lot of places where the connections just aren't made. You know what I mean? Like there's there's a lot of places where this is a hollow edifice, uh, either because it doesn't deliver on some of its themes or because just mechanically it doesn't function the way it really wants to, right? Like because it doesn't feel put together. Uh, I also do have to admit, though, coming back to late 2000s Eastern European (laughs) FPS design feels like coming home. Like. That yeah. that is that is what I am nostalgic for. Like people are like, this feels like shit. It doesn't none of it like works quite right. And I'm like, damn right it doesn't. Oh man. <laughs> Coming to grips with this my, is a my, treat. My like being okay with the combat and stuff here does make me wonder if I would feel okay with Stalker with just maybe the right handful of mods to make some of the like reload animations a little bit better or whatever. It's oh. it's it's knocked Stalker higher up on my list of things I need to try. I'll to send you some links this year instead of lower. So here's the please, thing. Please do about this, and here's the cool thing about our jobs is that you can make that a stream, and yeah, totally. that would allow you totally. to get work out of it, so it would be allowed. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> maybe a follow up later Look. this month. I'll I'll try to find. Some stuff. And My long con is to get a Waypoint 101 stalker uh, going. So totally, we shouldn't no, do it. No, next. No. People, people smartly on the on the forums like, can we do anything with color no. next? Can we do something bright and cheery? No, no. No, no, baby. The Witcher one. I'll see you next month. No, oh. I have no idea. We we oh, probably do need God. to uh, mix it up a bit. Uh, if you have suggestions, you should you should let us yeah. know for sure. Uh, drop them in. Maybe into a the... super giant game. Those are colorful. Those are, you know, I never played Bastion. Those are colorful. Oh, shit. Like, I played a little bit of Bastion, but, like, I never really got through it. Uh, yeah. Leave us some suggestions. Uh, there, I think there's already a forum thread uh, talking about Waypoint 101 topics, or you can throw in more ideas uh, in the comments for this uh, for this episode. Uh, but I think that will do it for this episode of Waypoint 101. Uh, we will pick out that next game that we'll cover uh, very soon, and we will give you a real heads up so you can play along with us. Uh, <laughs> keep an eye out for that by following all of us at Waypoint. You can follow me on Twitter, at uh, Rob Zachney. Austin, where can people find you? Find me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. And Danielle? At Danielle R.I. Follow all that we do at waypoint.vice.com and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash waypoint or on facebook.com slash waypointvice. Uh, be sure to join us again on Friday for Waypoint Radio. 
Until then, for Austin and Danielle, I'm Reb Zachney saying, get out of here, stalker. <laughs> <laughs>